0: My name is Peter Kroll, I am one of the preachers here for our church, and as has been mentioned a few times, today we come to the end of the book of Acts. Over the course of this narrative of the early Christian movement, we have seen the gospel go forth. The gospel is that word we use to label the message about God's kingdom. And that message has faced many setbacks and obstacles, and it has overcome them all. This message, and the kingdom it presents, has proven to be unstoppable. That's been the theme of our series. Because it could not be stopped by the absence of Jesus when he relocated from earth into heaven. It could not be stopped by the pressure of pain, whether external or internal to the Christian community. It could not be stopped by the inconsistency of results, whether the message was accepted or rejected. It could not be stopped by the rampant existence of prejudice, which normally threatens to rip societies apart. It could not be stopped by the weakness of of leadership when weak and sinful people attempt to exercise authority as shepherds under Jesus, and it could not be stopped by the failure of politics and politicians who refuse to do that which is right and just. The message of God's kingdom has overcome every one of these things, and it continues to flourish. Now, outwardly, things look not so great. We're at a point in the story where Jesus' appointed messenger, a guy named Paul, is under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial before Caesar. He has been wildly misunderstood and misrepresented. The size of his following has been less than stellar of late. But all that matters to him is that he shows people Jesus. Because by finding Jesus, they will find life and salvation. And such things in the hands of God are unstoppable. Why is this message unstoppable? You can see in your outline. We'll cover four matters. It's unstoppable because it presents not condemnation but hope. It leads to salvation for all who believe. It's unstoppable because it warmly welcomes all who come and listen. And in conclusion, we will see that it, this message is unstoppable because in this message, we meet the Lord Jesus himself. Let me pray for us again and for our time in this word of God before we dig into it. Our father in heaven, please open the eyes of our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears that hear that we might not disbelieve, but believe what the prophets have spoken about the Lord Jesus Christ in his kingdom. Change us by this, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. The first reason why the message of God's kingdom is unstoppable is that it presents not condemnation, but hope let me read verses 17 through 22 in acts chapter 28 after three days he called together the local leaders of the jews and when they had gathered he said to them brothers though i had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers yet i was delivered as a prisoner from jerusalem into the hands of the romans We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So as I said, the first thing the narrator wants us to see is that this message presents not condemnation, but hope. In verse 17, this is three days after Paul had arrived in Rome, in chains as a prisoner. And he's already met with the Christian leadership who came out to meet him. They came out of the city, actually, to meet him and escort him back, which is what they would do in in that culture to to a a coming dignitary or a a king of some sort. They're treating Paul like, like royalty and escorting him into the city. But, but now in verse 17, he summons the local Jewish leadership. We must not forget that Christianity began as a Jewish movement with deeply Jewish roots. The argument of this entire book of Acts has been that Christianity is the fullest expression of and the most, excuse me, the most faithful approach to the Jewish scriptures. ...that we call the Old Testament. Christianity is the fullest expression... ...of the Old Testament. Paul has already written a letter... ...about three years before this... ...to the Christian believers in Rome. He, he already has sent them his, his letter... That, ...that we call Romans. He was trying to build a relationship with them... ...and to help heal some of the divisions... ...between Jews and non-Jews... ...within that community... ...of those who had believed in Jesus... And so now here in Rome, he continues the practice he's had all along in every town he's gone to of caring deeply for his Jewish countrymen, even for those who don't yet believe in Jesus. He does that by calling their leaders together so they can hear his story and his message. This message must go to the Jew first. And so at the end of verse 17, he claims to have done nothing against His people, which is their people, our people, and he's done nothing against the customs of our fathers, the customs of our ancestors. In verse 19, he's frank with them that it was the Jews and not the Romans who had objected to Paul's message and behavior. And so he wants now to clear up whatever these Jews in Rome may have heard about him from those Jews in Judea, which is southern Palestine. In the land of Israel. And he wants to clear that up. And they confirm in verse 21. That they've heard nothing yet about Paul himself. Though in verse 22 they say. That they have heard about this sect. They're referring to the Christian movement. And what they've heard is troubling. Because this movement is spoken against. Everywhere. So Paul really wants to clear things up. He wants to make sure that they don't confuse the true message with whatever distorted message they have heard from those who wish to slander him or this movement. And how exactly would he summarize that message that he wants to clear up with them? He'll go into a little more detail the next day, which comes in the next paragraph. But the essence on this first day is here in verses 19 and 20. At the end of 19, he says, I have no charge to bring against my nation. In other words, I have not come with condemnation. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to charge you with any wrongdoing. But, verse 20, he says, I bear this chain because of the hope of Israel. I have not come with condemnation, but with hope. I'm not here to cause any trouble to the Jewish people or the Jewish religion. In fact, I'm here to show you that the fulfillment of your hopes has arrived. Now this point has underscored much of this book's presentation of the message about Jesus. This book of acts it has showed us that jesus died to give life to the world he rose to be declared lord of all so that he could begin setting everything right once again god is near to everyone having put them where they are in their precise places so they can hear this message because god wants to be found and to be known he wants to enter into trusting and committed relationship with his people As Paul had written to those who had already trusted in Christ in the church at Rome in his letter to these folks, he said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we must understand that Paul's message, which is also the message of Acts, which is also the message of Jesus Christ, is that salvation is available. God does not want to condemn people. God is not out to get you. God wishes what is best for you. He doesn't have charges against you. He doesn't seek your harm. We misrepresent the message if we morph it into a message that says that God is out for blood. Now, yes, we must be honest That condemnation is the current state of affairs. But rescue is available to any who will listen, to any and all who will receive it. The hope of Israel has come. He has died. He has been resurrected just as the scriptures have said. God's kingdom is now here and it is unstoppable. Friends, how does this apply? Please don't distort the message of God's kingdom. Let me propose two ways that we may be in danger of distorting it today. The first way we could distort this message is when we boil it down to be a message of condemnation. We boil it down to a message of condemnation. This happens when we focus so much on the world's opposition to Christ that we can't even imagine ever bridging the gap between us and them. We become known more for our criticism than for our cooperation. We're quick to tell people what they are doing wrong, and we have a very hard time seeing a productive way forward. Maybe, maybe you don't even know how to have a conversation with, say, a Muslim or a lesbian or a local business owner with a less than savory reputation. Maybe you don't know how to have a conversation with these folks in a way that acknowledges our shared humanity and the hope available in the Lord Jesus. When we do this, When we boil this message down to a message of condemnation, we communicate to the world a false picture of what God is like. We communicate that he is distant, that he is disappointed, and that he is unreachable. Now, this is not everyone's struggle, but perhaps some of you can relate. If you could give me a list of 20 things wrong with our culture and with the people around you, but... You haven't ever witnessed the joy of a neighbor or a coworker or a fellow student coming to Christ. You can tell me everything that's wrong, and you haven't actually seen someone come to Christ. You might be in danger of this distortion. Because this might be evidence that you have focused your message on condemnation rather than hope. But there's a second way I think we can distort the message today. Besides boiling it down to a message of condemnation, we can distort it by offering a hope that is not really hope. This happens when we're so afraid to be viewed as critical or condemning that we sugarcoat everything and give people false assurance. You know, we're really really nice we never rock the boat we just try to stay out of people's way and avoid doing anything that might cause them to dislike us we don't want our classmates to make fun of us we don't want our neighbors to look down on us and when we do this when we operate this way we communicate to the world a false picture of what God is like we communicate to the world that God doesn't really care about what's happening in their lives. That he doesn't need to rescue them from anything. And so we don't focus on condemnation without hope. And we also have to recognize that without a real threat of condemnation, there's nothing really to hope for anyway. You know, the hardest people to win are the people who don't think they're in any danger. So they have to see the danger. But how do, you, how do you do that? How does, how does the Christian message about God's kingdom thread this needle? How do we offer real hope to real people who desperately need it without just delivering a message of condemnation? Well, that's, let's move on. Because he'll show us. That our message of hope cannot be stopped because it leads to salvation for all who believe. Let me show you how to thread this needle in verses 23 through 28. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah, the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes. They have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. The second reason why this message is unstoppable is because it leads to salvation for all who believe. This is the direction of the message. It's leading people to salvation. And this is how we address the dilemma of offering true hope without a hopeless condemnation. Let me explain it as Paul did from the Old Testament scriptures. Look at how he does this. Verse 23, Paul spends a whole day explaining to them the law and the prophets. That's shorthand for the Old Testament scripture. And what he did in verse 23 is trying to convince them about Jesus. So you have to remember the Old Testament is all about Jesus. This same author, Luke, he, he made this very point in the last chapter of his gospel of Luke. There Jesus persuades his disciples that the whole Old Testament is about him. And now in the last chapter of Acts, he does the same thing. Paul's persuading them that the whole Old Testament is about Jesus. In verse 24 is the key. Some were convinced, but others disbelieved. You see, the problem with that latter group is not, was not that they didn't have enough information. It's not that he, Paul's arguments weren't cogent enough. The problem was a problem of belief. They disbelieved, which means they refused to believe it. To be true. Sort of like the young man from India I was reaching out to years ago who told me that the message of the Bible made perfect sense to him. It was almost too good to be true, but he just couldn't believe it because becoming a Christian would wreck his career and shame him in front of his family. This is what disbelief looks like. In verse 25, Paul is not surprised by the divided response. It simply validates what the Holy Spirit told Isaiah all those centuries ago. And so he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. It's a very important quote. It shows up in all four Gospels and here in the book of Acts. Isaiah had been given a, a mission from God to tell the Jewish people about his coming kingdom to tell them about the Messiah who would suffer, die, and rise from the grave so that the new heavens and new earth could begin to spill into the present heavens and present earth and make everything right again. And when God called Isaiah to be his prophet, that's what's happening in Isaiah 6 where Paul's quoting from here. It's when God called him, God promised Isaiah that the response would be divided, that a few would listen to him, But many of the people would be so committed to worshipping their idols that they would refuse to believe the truth. You see, if I've got a little statue here that lets me live my life however I please, why would I give that up for a God who presumes to tell me what to do? And so God assured Isaiah that these people would be conformed to the image of the gods they worshiped. You know, since these, these little blocks of wood, they had eyes and ears carved right into them, but they couldn't actually see or hear, the people, therefore, would lose the ability to see or hear spiritual truths themselves. This is the point of the quote from Isaiah 6 here in verses 26 and 27. Paul is now very much the spiritual heir of Isaiah. He's speaking to the Jewish nation once more about life and resurrection and a new world having finally arrived, but they will not listen. Therefore, God's salvation will be granted to others who will listen. Verse 28. This is key. This is so important for us to understand. Friends, when people suffer the condemnation of God's wrath and they are not rescued out of it, it is because that is what they want. It is not as though God is a big meanie in the sky looking for ways to just give people a really bad day. You have to understand, hell is not akin to a torture chamber in the dungeon of God's palace where he keeps all his chains, his steel pinchers, and his hot pokers. And he just can't wait to get busy with his next hapless victim. That's not what hell is about. No, Romans 1, with the letter Paul wrote to the people in this city, it reveals to us that, that the shape God's wrath takes... The way God exercises His wrath is He hands people over to their desires. When they refuse His offer of life, He grants them their deepest wishes. And so that which makes hell, hell is that God's gracious hand, which currently restrains human sin and selfishness from being as sinful and selfishness as it could be, that gracious hand is finally and utterly withdrawn. People are allowed to be as selfish and self-interested as they want to be. Hell is a place where nobody ever helps each other out there is no such thing as friends or loved ones in hell because nobody cares about anybody but themselves and there is nothing there but excuses darkened understanding and a refusal to take responsibility for anything just picture a spoiled child throwing a wild fit in the middle of their birthday party And then give that demon child bigger biceps and unrestricted access to the nuclear launch codes. And then put billions more of such out-of-control fools together on an island. And you'll begin to understand what hell will be like. The reason why we can offer real hope without condemnation is because most people would rather choose the condemnation. But God offers to rescue them from themselves. This is real hope. All they have to do is let go of their petty, self-interested concerns and be concerned instead with the glory and the honor of the one who made them and who loves them. They need to quit their rebellion against the king of kings and bow the knee in humble submission and then all will be well. This message cannot be stopped. This kingdom cannot be stopped because it has nothing to do with what you do Or what you earn. It has everything to do with where your allegiance is. Is it to yourself? Or is it to your creator? And you express that allegiance by simply listening to him. Because you will become just like whatever you worship. Do you want to be deaf and blind like your dumb idols and your made up gods? Or do you want to become a fountain of life like the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ? So instead of reenacting the Lord of the flies on some Pacific island, how about if we had a message that could actually heal divisions and resolve racial and social tension and injustice? How about if we could produce lasting change for the good of all kinds of people, regardless of how they look, or how much money or power they have. This takes us to the third reason the message of God's kingdom is unstoppable, which is that it warmly welcomes all who come and listen. Look at how this book ends, verse 30 and 31. He, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Do you see what has happened to Paul the prisoner? Paul the prisoner has become Paul the host. Verse 30, at his own expense, he welcomed all who came to him. He's like an Italian grandmother with too many leftovers. Come, come, manja, manja. That's what the gospel message of God's kingdom does. It turns people into those grandmothers. It takes people in whatever circumstances they find themselves, and it turns them into a solo welcoming committee at the pearly gates. And who are those who are welcomed? It's whoever will bother to listen to him, verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jew, Greek, Roman, doesn't matter. Homeowner, homeless, doesn't matter. Shop owner or slave, doesn't matter. Old or young doesn't matter. Male or female doesn't matter. You see what it says. He welcomed all who came to him. If they will listen, they are welcome. These last two verses serve as a closing picture of the expansive reach and the invitation of the message that was delivered by Jesus to his followers and which has now reached to the very center of the world's empire. And here's the result. When an unstoppable message concerning an unstoppable kingdom simply won't stop doing what it does best, that means that all who will listen are welcomed People are brought together and they are not ripped apart. Invitations are extended and not withdrawn. Jesus Christ enfolds and restores. And this is a critical thing we need to look at when evaluating solutions being proposed in our day for the divisions and the tensions in our culture. We need to evaluate any proposed solution, at least in part, by whether it will result in people being welcomed and brought together or whether it simply continues tearing people apart. You see, we've got significant political division in our day and so many of the solutions that are proposed only widen the divide. We've got racial tension. And some solutions being proposed are only making matters worse. So if you do not yet follow Jesus Christ, please understand that we proclaim a message that will bring people together, welcoming all and not drive them further apart. We've got a message about a kingdom that is equally available to all who will listen. Our hope is is to see the new heaven and new earth break further into the present heaven and earth to rectify what is wrong. Now, how does this work? How can a message do such a thing? It's because in conclusion, we must see that in this message, we meet the Lord Jesus himself. Look again at verse 23 with me. Paul sought to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Look again at verse 31. Paul was proclaiming not only the kingdom of God, but he was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, the reason this message is unstoppable is because this message introduces you to a person who is unstoppable. Jesus was God in heaven who came to earth and became a man. He did everything his father asked him to do, up to and including getting himself executed by the Jewish and Roman authorities. But God the Father then raised him from the dead by the power of his Holy Spirit. You see, they they tried to execute him. They tried to shut him up. But how can you stop someone who will not be subject to death? What are you going to do? Try to kill him again? Didn't work the first time. And that Jesus now reigns from heaven, superintending the growth of his kingdom On earth, and he cannot be stopped. The salvation and power these scriptures now offer to you are not contained in mere words. No, these words introduce you to a person. And as you pledge your allegiance to him, he cheerfully delegates power to you so that you can represent him. His spirit resides within you to enable the transfer, that delegation of power. So friends, please do not grow tired or weary. Please do not grow weary with this message. We must keep telling the old, old story about Jesus week in and week out here at church, day in and day out in our lives. Since we find Jesus in this message, this message cannot be stopped. It presents not condemnation, but hope. Will you find the hope offered here? And it gives you hope, real hope, because it leads to salvation for all who believe. Are you ready to be rescued from yourself, rescued from the consequences of your rebellion against god and this message warmly welcomes all who come and listen are you ready to welcome and to be welcomed by those who will listen let us hold fast to this message so that through it we might stand together as citizens united of jesus's unstoppable kingdom As Paul himself wrote to the people in the city in Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God. Friends, if we hold on to and live out this hopeful message of Christ's welcome, it will be unstoppable. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, Lord, who are we that you would make us your children, that you would give us access to your spirit and your power and your glory? Lord, help us to rest in you. Help us to stand firm and stand fast on this message. Not just condemning people, they are condemning themselves. Help us to give them a message of hope from their condemnation. Help us to love others, to welcome all who will listen, that we might see and and witness the expansion of your kingdom, which cannot be stopped. The world can do nothing. They cannot kill Jesus again. They can try to kill us, but we know death is not the end. They can try to shut us up, but you will raise up children of Abraham from the stones to continue proclaiming it. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.